tonight, Acts chapter 13, as we continue talking about missions and the beginning. Uh, we saw in part one of Acts, the introduction, chapter one, part two of Acts was the founding, and that was uh, the main character would have been Simon Peter, <coughs> chapters two through five. And then the third uh, par- part uh, of Acts was the forward emphasis there was where Stephen was one of the main characters, chapters six through 12, and then Now in chapter 13, we begin the foreign emphasis, and that is where Paul is going to be the main character. And uh, so we begin, or began a couple of weeks ago, I guess it's been a few weeks ago now, at Revival and different things coming up. Uh, So uh, we had a little interruption here, but starting in verse number 1, chapter 13. Now there were in the church that was in Antioch, at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. As I want to look tonight at kind of the second part of this, we mainly talked about Verse 1, last week with these different godly elders at Antioch, we see five men introduced here, and the Bible only gives us a note or two about them, but uh, enough to stimulate some interest. Don't you ever look at stories, maybe, or just accounts in the New Testament where there'll just be a mention of a man's name or a woman's name, you don't know anything else about them, and it just always raises the curiosity uh, who they were, they had a life, they had a ministry, they had a, an impact and were mentioned in the Bible. And uh, here we see these five men, and I'll just go down them very quickly. We went into more detail last time, but we see, first of all, Brother Barnabas. He reminds us of the sweetness of the Lord Jesus. And we've already been told in the Bible, we've met him before, uh, he was a very kind man, he was an encourager. Uh, in fact, he was named Barnabas by the other apostles. That was really a nickname, and it means son of consolation, son of encouragement, son of exhortation. Barnabas was an encourager. You, we have, you come to church, there's different types of people. Uh, people you're thrilled to meet, and then people you're not so thrilled to meet. I mean, you're just, there's the encouragers. That's the ones we all like, isn't it? The ones that will encourage you and have a big smile and lift you up and lift your spirits whenever they... They're around. I mean, that's the type of folks we like, and that's who Barnabas was. Uh, he was the type of person that would lift up the spirits of those he was around. And by the way, every local church needs a Barnabas. Amen? We need churches full of Barnabases, those that will encourage one another. When it comes to serving in the church, what kind of Christian are you? I hope that you are like Barnabas in this area. Then there was Brother Simon Niger. He reminds us of the sufferings of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to go through all the connections again, but we trace through Scripture that this could be uh, very well the man that carried Jesus' cross. Uh, Simon would retell that story to all who would listen. He would tell how the man of Calvary had won his heart. Listen, every church also needs a Simon Niger, somebody that's been to the cross, somebody that's borne the burdens and lived to tell about it, and who finds all other burdens light and is quick to share his testimony, each one of us also ought to use our testimony to encourage others. So Barnabas reminds us of the sweetness of the Lord. Uh, Simon Niger reminds us of the sufferings of Jesus. And then there was the brother 
uh, Lucius of Cyrene. He reminds us of the sovereignty of Jesus. Some have linked Lucius with, uh, Paul talked about in Romans 16.21, Lucius, my kinsman. So related or not, here we have Simon Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Saul of Tarsus, saved in different places at different times, brought by different routes to Antioch, linked together for a common cause in Christ. It's an example of the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. I had a, just a pleasure talking to Brother Pete Helen today and just the different connections that we have. Uh, you know, he was good friends with my father-in-law uh, years ago when my wife was just, couple, I guess, just a toddler, uh, basically. They were friends together in seminary and knows my father-in-law well and these different connections. You can just see how God works in the affairs of men. And here you see that as well, the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. And then there was Brother Menea, and he reminds us of the salvation of the Lord Jesus. He'd been brought up with Herod here, the Bible says. As boys, they went to school together, they played together, they studied together, they laughed together. Menean became a believer, Herod became a beast. Menean became a minister, Herod became a murderer. Menean found uh, salvation in the arms of Jesus, where Herod found shame in the arms of Herodias. But look at Menean, and you can see what he was saved from, and what he was saved to as well, what he was saved for. That's what salvation can do for every one of us. Listen, friend, never, ever forget what you were saved from and what you were saved to. I mean, maybe you were like me. I was saved at a pretty young age. I was 10. Uh, some of my kids were saved even younger than that. I hadn't knocked over any banks. I wasn't dealing drugs. I hadn't done anything terrible. But uh, I was a sinner who needed to be saved, amen? And since then, I haven't knocked over any banks. I haven't sold any drugs. I haven't... Uh, haven't ever gotten drunk. I haven't ever done a lot of things that the Lord kept me from. Amen? And so, whether or not He took you out of something, uh, He saved you from something either way. And many of you have great testimonies about how God saved you out of those things. And praise the Lord for it. We need to be willing and able to share our testimony and never forget what God took you from, what He saved you from and out of. Barnabas Reminds us of the sweetness of Jesus, Simon, Niger, the sufferings, Lucius, the sovereignty, and the Menean, the salvation. And then Saul, he reminds us of the service of the Lord Jesus. He was a man with all the gifts. He was the prophet. He, was, he had the abilities, the knowledge. He had the education. He was the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. And all of Saul who became Paul's gifts were used for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need willing servants in the Lord's work. And that's what he was. This is a list of people actually are quite impressive. Not talked about enough, but enough for us to realize and make some different connections. And these are the type of men we need in every church. And so going forward this evening, we see they were remarkable in their service. Look at verse 2. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. They ministered to the Lord and the Holy Ghost said, the word ministered here, uh, used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek form of the Old Testament, and the Septuagint, uh, the, the word for ministered is what was used for, to describe the work of the Levites. And uh, in other words, it, it uh, basically tells us here that the, the, the nature of their service, their ministering was spiritual. The word minister <coughs> derives from a word 
uh, that has the idea of public service at one's own expense. Uh, the elders at Antioch were not in it for the money. They were not TV evangelist type people. Uh, they were, this was sacrificial service <coughs> as well as spiritual service. It cost them something to serve God. It always does cost us something to serve God. A person does not qualify, I believe, to lead God's people unless they are prepared to make some sacrifices. It's just a part of serving the Lord in that position. If you're serving at church for your own interest, it's a mighty poor reason to be serving the Lord, and it's the wrong one too. Uh, we are not looking to uh, increase and, and do it for our own interest, but to bring glory to the Lord. So they were spiritual. They were sincere. Uh, verse 2 says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, they were willing to do without to make sure they had the mind and will of God about their next step. Now, I don't like to preach on fasting because I don't like to preach on things I don't do that much. And I don't fast like I should. I, I wish I, I need to more. It's something that I've been convicted about often. But, um, boy, I really like to eat. Amen? It's just a really, really a joy uh, in my daily life. And I've often wished that when we started having kids, we'd have started them on two meals a day instead of three. It had been a whole lot cheaper. But I like that three meals a day too. And it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to fast uh, for, uh, for, for me especially. And so... Um, but this is what they did. Are, are we willing to go without to find out God's will? Are we willing to, to deprive ourselves of whatever it takes to get a hold of God? And this is a question we need to ask ourselves. They were. Uh, this was a very <coughs> serious step. Both the church and the leaders at Antioch were receptive in finding the leading of the Spirit of God. Look at what the Bible says here in verse 2 going on. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein to have called them. Now, it would seem that the Holy Spirit had already been speaking to Barnabas and Saul. They had heard the cry of the lost world. They had been burdened. That comes first. Amen. God's call precedes the call from the church leaders. That call must come from the Holy Spirit, not from a man, a mission board, a church, not from the parents. Have you ever seen a... Daddy called preacher or mama called preacher. They make for some poor preachers sometimes. And I've met a few of those. And uh, it's never a good thing when people go into the ministry called of their parents. Because, uh, by the way, you never know who God's going to call. Some of the greatest preachers that uh, in, our, in, in history have been some of the most unlikely men to be chosen for that. And uh, you don't know who God will call. George Mueller Everybody knows who George Mueller is. Got uh, all kinds of books written about him. He didn't become a missionary until he was age 70. He was turned down by five mission boards, to much to their uh, loss. And uh, George Mueller became one of the greatest giants of faith of all time. The leaders of Antioch here were sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. And we ought to be too uh, in our lives as well. They were ready for sacrifice. They, they, here in verse 3, when they had fasted and prayed, they didn't, talking about the church now, they didn't selfishly try to restrain their two best preachers, their two top guys here. This is very tempting for any church to do. Uh, we we uh, want to hold on to our own when, when we have somebody that's serving 
uh, in a, any capacity at church. Uh, I, I realized this. We had a youth pastor for a short while, and then I got a call, and uh, thankfully, I think very rightly so, the pastor in Clark called me first and asked what I thought, or would I uh, talk to my son-in-law? Would, I be interested, would he be interested in possibly considering taking that work in Clark? And, uh, you know, it's a little bit tempting to let the call stop right there. <laughs> We had a youth pastor. We needed one here. Uh, but we, we got to follow the Lord's leading. Amen? And even if it's at a loss for our church, if it's what the Lord wants out of my son-in-law, my daughter, to go to the next level in their Christian life and take that pastorate, then that's what we want. And this is where they were here. We, they didn't hold back. But yet they needed, didn't rush into things either. There was a calm determination. They wanted to make sure that it was of God. And so they prayed, the Bible says, and they fasted. I've encouraged our deacons and the leaders of our church that when it comes to any kind of big decisions like building or, or uh, expanding or putting on staff or something like that, whenever it comes to any kind of big decisions, first, first, we pray and see if God's in it. And then, uh, yeah, we need to count the cost. We need to look at the money. Those are responsible things to do. But God has the money for what He wants to do, amen? And so we see if the Lord's in something, and then we move ahead with it. And if God's in it, then we move in that direction. And so that's what we always want to uh, make sure that we put that first. I don't think that a ministry should make their big decisions based on whether the money is in the bank or not. Not always. I mean, there's, we have to use common sense. We have to use wisdom there. Uh, but God will will provide if he as as I always like that old statement if God tells you to ride he will provide the horse partners with Barnabas and Saul here verse number three when they had fasted and prayed they laid their hands on them and sent them away now this act did not confer any special gift on the two missionaries they the laying on of hands was kind of like it was in the Old Testament a Hebrew would bring his lamb uh, to be sacrificed or his ox they would bring them to the priest for sacrifice, then he was required to put his hands on that sacrifice. It was symbolic that he identified himself with his substitute. The remaining three elders here in Antioch, in the Antioch church, laid their hands on these two missionaries because these missionaries would be their substitutes to regions beyond. Didn't give them any special powers. It was a mark of fellowship and confidence. July 25th, 2004. Uh, you've seen, you know, what ordinations are when people are ordained to preach. That was uh, my licensing that day for ministry. And uh, several men, Hal Hightower, Pastor Jackson, amongst a few others, uh, put their hands on my shoulders and prayed. And, and it, it did not make me a superhero. It didn't give me any special powers. What it did, though, is it was their uh, way of, of identifying, putting a mark of confidence and fellowship and I was their substitute to go forward to areas they could not go to, as well as they were at one time in their life as well. So uh, these things uh, are, are just a, a way of partnering together that they had with Barnabas and Saul. Look at what it says in verse 3. They sent them away. I think this is interesting. That phrase is all from one original word, apaluo, and it means to set free. The next verse says they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. The way I kind of read this is that they released them and the Holy Ghost sent them. Uh, the church 
took their hand, didn't hold on to what God, oh, how often we hold on to what God's given. Our children, we do this with our children. I, I was a youth pastor for many years, and it was, a, it was incredible to me how parents, we taught, I, I taught a Christian school, we had a, a youth group, and we had a pretty good-sized Christian school. Parents would fight heavily against children going into the ministry. They didn't want that for their kids. They didn't want their kids to be broke their whole life. They didn't want their kids to be attacked their whole life. Hey, the ministry is not easy, let me tell you. There's difficulties in it. It's the greatest, it's the, the way I describe ministry is always it's the hardest, most wonderful job in the world, in my opinion. But it is a difficult thing. And they didn't want that. And so they protect their kids from those things. That's a mistake. When God gives you a child or a son or a daughter and you hold on to them and don't let them go to what he has called them to do, that's a bad, bad mistake. And so here they release them. The best thing you can do with your children, the best thing you can do with your possessions, the best thing you can do with your own life is to release it to the Lord. Let Him have it. And let Him do with it as He will. We talked about that tonight in discipleship. And so the whole venture here was of God from start to finish. How important it is to not hold on to what God gives us. I was talking to Pastor Helen today and and we were talking about, uh, you know, his kids are kind of all over the country. Mine are spread around a little bit. And, and uh, they were talking, uh, the, the uh, Pigors also have kids in different places in, in ministry. And, and uh, I said, you know, you insert ministry in any family, and kids go all over the place, don't they? And uh, that's, it, it would be, I'd love that if we, all our kids were around. Well, some of them, you know, how that goes. But our kids were around and close and and uh, we're able to have all our family together, but that's not, though you, you add ministry in that, and I'll tell you, I want my kids close, but if, if God's will is for my child to be in Africa, that, they need to be in Africa, amen. That's where I want them. The safest place for my child to be is right in the middle of God's will. The safest place for my grandchildren. I don't care if it's the Congo. If that's where God wants them, that's the safest place for them. They need to be there. Let's never hold back our kids, our grandkids from following God. So here the distinction is carefully drawn between the action of the Holy Spirit and the action of the believers. The authority for the venture came from the Holy Spirit, not from a mission board, not from these other elders. This came from the Holy Spirit. And then you had the parting. It must have been a, a parting. It's one of the many partings of Paul uh, in the book of Acts. And uh, what a parting that must have been. Now, there's one thing lacking here from the whole enterprise, which is kind of primary in our modern missionary effort. There's no mention of money, no mention of support. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that today, but here we see no seeking financial support, no promised offerings, no mention of money at all. Evidently, these first missionaries believed that God was able to supply their needs. Evidently, God did supply them because not once is money mentioned. Now, uh, real quickly, let me just talk about Paul's beginning here, and we won't go too much longer here, but in verse 4, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. All three of Paul's missionary journeys put forth a different emphasis. Now, taken together, these three journeys confront us, uh, or, or show us, I believe, a blueprint uh, for all missionary activity. And it's important that we understand Christianity is a missionary faith, is an evangelistic faith. It, we, we either evangelize or we fossilize. We have to be about 
giving God's work out both personally and corporately. Personally as we witness to others, corporately as we send missionaries all over the world. And so we see Paul is a pioneer in this. Uh, we see a difference in Paul's efforts than in many of our folks today that go on the mission field. And there's a comfort zone with a lot of people and they go into more rural areas. But Paul did not reach remote tribes. He didn't establish mission outposts. Paul went to cities. Uh, he evangelized places like Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. He went to Salamis, went to Paphos and Perga and Atalia. He evangelized big cities, uh, big centers of cultural and commerce and government, and uh, reaching the forests and the far-off mountain areas was then the responsibility of the churches that he planted in these cities. It's a little different, maybe, than what we think of in today's concept, but uh, if, if Paul was alive today, I was thinking this the other day, where would he be building churches? Tokyo, Japan has 37 million people. Uh, Del Del Delhi, India, 30 million people. Shanghai, China, 27 million people. San Polo, Brazil, 22 million people. Did you know that New York City is not even in the top 20? They only have 8 million people. It's a small town, New York City. Uh, Paul would, I believe that's one emphasis that might be a little different than some of our missions outreaches today. Paul went to the cities and then he would leave behind him churches that were on fire for God. The nationals then would plan their strategy to uh, get, go out into the uh, areas that they were at. Let, let the people that live there get uh, busy with the job of uh, evangelizing in their nation. That's why we love national pastors. We support national pastors. You'll see on the back, and they're not even all on the board because some of them are, are we, we go through uh, John Conrad, but we like to support pastors that know the language. That's why I was so excited to take on uh, Go Oishi this year and his wife Danielle, who are going to Japan. He speaks the language. He knows the, he, he's Japanese himself, so he knows the culture, and he's going to be able to go there and make a great impact. Now, Paul, for instance, I'll give you one instance here. Paul planted a church in Ephesus, and then later John addressed churches in Smyrna, Sardis, Pergamos, Philadelphia, Thyatira, and Laodicea. All those centers were uh, evidently evangelized out of Ephesus. So Paul started the church there, and then they started their churches as they were going forth. So we see Paul as a pioneer. We see him as a planner. He did not uh, abandon the mission churches that he planted. He went back. He strengthened them. We see him do the work of a preacher. His third missionary journey emphasizes that. On that journey, he went back uh, to the places he had already been, went to encourage them and to expound the scriptures to them, to fortify the believers. And then guess what else he did? He wrote some letters. <laughs> we have those letters. They're great, aren't they? Uh, Paul, I, I love how God works. Again, we were talking about it this morning. Uh, in bad things happen, and God uses it. But guess where Paul was in much of his ministry? He was in prison. Much of his ministry. He couldn't, Paul liked it, he was a man of action. He liked to go to new places and go to uh, new areas and far-flung places and cities. And he liked to be among the synagogues and, and talking to people. But he could, what, what could he do when he was in prison? He, he wasn't a strong speaker. The Bible tells us that. He was not strong in a, he was not an orator like Apollos. He was a, a weak when it came to the pulpit. Boy, could he write. So God put him in prison. What did he do? He wrote letters. 
during our New Testament. He much make much of the New Testament up. Let God use you where you're planted. And that's what Paul did. As he was in prison, he wrote, and uh, he would build up these churches that he had planted. And of course, it became part of our New Testament, and they are used to build us even today. Uh, but it's a great example of letting God use you wherever he has you, even if it's an unpleasant circumstance or situation. Amen. So let's uh, look at those uh, things and go on forward from Acts there. I think it's the great things we can learn. How uh, Paul uh, put himself to work for the Lord. And help us now, Father, as we do the same.